0: From Irwin to Warren, Ridgeway to Grantham, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, creating a simple, more certain tax environment is one key to improving Pennsylvania's business climate. David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association is joined by Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation and Melissa Morgan from the National Federation of Independent Business for a Capital Watch Roundtable Discussion. And the push to convert to electric vehicles combined with opposition to construction of new power plants has placed the nation on an energy collision course. I'll have a town hall commentary. I'm Loman Henry and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to our Capitol Watch crew in just a couple of minutes, but first news headlines from patownhall.com. A proposed state constitutional amendment to open a window to allow the victims of child sexual abuse to sue will not appear on the May primary election ballot, as the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives has failed to concur with a Senate-passed bill that would have placed that proposed amendment, along with two others, including a popular requirement for voters to show a photo ID to vote on the May ballot. House Democrats have instead passed their own bill, stripping out the other two measures, despite the fact Senate Majority Leader Joe Pittman says the Senate has already acted on the issue and has no intention to take further action. Proposed constitutional amendments must pass two consecutive sessions of the General Assembly in exactly the same form to advance to a voter referendum. If the two chambers cannot agree by the end of November next year, It will be at least three years before the proposed amendments could be placed before voters. The Reason Foundation's 27th Annual Highway Report gave Pennsylvania a poor grade. We are 41st in the nation for highway performance and cost-effectiveness. According to the Center Square, the report compares state management and maintenance of their highway systems and tracks national trends. Of greater concern... Is the fact the fatality rate on state highways is ticking up, reversing a 40-year downward trend. If you want to feel good about our state's highways, drive to New York or New Jersey, which fared even worse than Penn's Woods in the recent report. If you like your car or truck, you may want to avoid driving into the city of Philadelphia. Broad and Liberty reports more cars were stolen in the first 16 weeks of 2023 than in any single year from 2012 to 2019. According to the latest data, 6,334 cars have been reported stolen in Philadelphia since the beginning of the year. Auto thefts in the city of Brotherly Love are up 80% over the same period in 2022. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. One of the major factors influencing the ability of businesses to move or expand in Pennsylvania is the uncertainty surrounding our tax and regulatory climate. What can be done to change that? David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association is joined by Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation and Melissa Morgan from the National Federation of Independent Business for a Capital Watch
1: roundtable discussion. David? And welcome once again to Capital Watch, where we keep an eye on what's happening under the Capitol Dome in Harrisburg for you. I'm your host, David Taylor, president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. With me in the studio, my main man, Steve Bloom, vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. Steve, great to see you. Thank you. Wonderful to be here, David. Well, and we have our special guest, Melissa Morgan, assistant state director for the National Federation of Independent Business. Melissa, thanks for joining the show.
2: Thank you for having me, and I'm happy to be here today.
1: Well, you know we want to focus on small business. It's a great opportunity to have you here with us, and uh, you know as as people know or should know, that small business is in fact the largest employer in Pennsylvania that uh, that our small and independent businesses uh, employ, I think what is it? About half the workforce.
2: Correct. Half of your workforce is coming from your Main Street businesses, your mom and pop shops, um, the hometown businesses that are sponsoring your Little League teams, the ones that you're seeing every day. Those are employing half of Pennsylvania's workforce.
1: And that one of the um one of the statistics one of one of the just the economic facts about Pennsylvania that i think should be you know a flashing red light on the dashboard is that Pennsylvania has a very low like a dangerously low small business startup rate
2: Absolutely, and it's only been exasperated by what we've seen with the COVID pandemic, what we've seen with just proposals coming out of Harrisburg and out of Washington that just they just don't make it friendly to start a small business um, in the Commonwealth uh, or or in the United States, to quite to be quite frank.
1: And I remember that uh, that our friend Steve, who's a recovering politician, but but more than that is an attorney. That in the course of your practice, that you you helped a lot of small businesses to try to cope with those regulatory and, and compliance burdens.
3: Yeah. And, and the the thing that really surprised me as I got into law practice and started working with those startups, those mom and pops, those those uh, small businesses that make our, our towns and, and countryside so strong in Pennsylvania, I found out that the government is literally hostile toward them. It's Correct. not just neutral. It's not just saying we oh, have to fill out some forms and make some applications. They're giving them a hard time. The government's giving these people who are taking a risk, rolling the dice with everything they have to try to make a better future, the government's often standing in their way and making it more difficult and, and treating them as if they've done something wrong. Yeah.
1: Well, and this is, this, is, this is why we need state government to, to get an attitude adjustment and that this is why we need to stop doing a lot of the dumb things that uh, that Pennsylvania, uh, you know, we do to ourselves through our, our state government. Melissa, let's talk about what are some of the pro-growth pro-small business measures in tax law that you folks are working to have changed?
2: So one of the things that comes as a shock to a lot of people is the concept of a net operating loss. Mm -hmm. That is something in Pennsylvania that small business cannot utilize. If you are not a C corporation in Pennsylvania, meaning you are an S corporation, so you are those mom-and-pop shops that Mm -hmm. we're talking about, you cannot utilize a net operating loss.
1: And this is really critical because the – so the – not all businesses earn a profit in nice, tidy 12-month chunks and so under the, the IRS code and, and tax law in, I think, 48 states that the – C-corporations, the, the, the big companies that issue shares, that they are allowed to apply um, their recent – business losses to their current and near future tax liability. So the, in this way, it, it sort of evens out, it averages out your profit and loss so that the tax bite isn't as big if you're down one year and then you come back strong the following year. And so, like you said, in Pennsylvania that the C corporations can, t- can do that, but small and independent businesses, they, they have, they, they're not able to utilize that. That is correct
2: and these are your businesses that it's harder for them to absorb those those costs so you know it's you know we, we sometimes say you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander well why are we allowing our bigger corporations to have more friendly taxation in Pennsylvania than our than our smaller ones right
1: well and actually the the the, the Carry forward of net operating loss for the for the c corporations is also capped, which doesn 't happen out of the state, so we 're like we need to make pro growth tax changes across the board, but you know and this is just i 'll just editorialize a little bit I mean one of the things is that the the small business is almost inevitably part of the supply chain or the distribution network or the vendor of our major manufacturers. And in the same way, you know, a lot of times that the – you know, that the, the, the small business is the, the large business's best customer. So we need to – you know, we need to, to have a, a pro-growth climate that reflects all the different segments of our economy, all the different contributors to our overall prosperity.
2: And I would say to that, absolutely. In the same way we wouldn't want to have all corporations in Pennsylvania, we couldn't sustain if we only had small businesses. We need, you know, a diverse group from your smaller businesses to your medium businesses to your corporations. And and how do we attract all of them? We have smart tax policies. We have taxpayer-friendly policies. We have lower rates in other states to get people to come here. We have policies that that make sense, that make you want to come raise a family, start a business in Pennsylvania.
3: I talked about how unfriendly our government is towards small businesses. Not every state is like that. Mm-hmm. There are states that we're actively competing with for, for that investment, for the, for the people to plant their roots and start to build something productive that will help their community and their state. And a lot of times it's happening in other states because they have a more favorable climate for businesses. They're not, they're not trying to undermine. They're trying to encourage. Yeah. They're not trying to make it more complex. They're trying to make it more simple. And here we are in Pennsylvania, still standing in the way, thinking somehow that just because we have a good location, good natural resources, a great base of labor here in our state, that somehow we're going to survive and thrive. It's going to take more than that. We've got to have policies that allow us to make this a better place than other states to locate your small business.
2: And also something that a lot of people aren't familiar with, and even a lot of lawmakers aren't familiar with, is the accelerated um, sales tax prepayments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we talk about how complicated it is in Pennsylvania to be a small business owner, to start a small business, now we also ask you to guess – what your sales tax, <laughs> <laughs> what your sales tax is going to be, what, what you're going to be required to pay to the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do that, you know, we did that or- originally after the first recession to to get more money into the state coffers. They said, we, we want that accelerated sales tax prepayment. And essentially, yes, business owners are guessing what those, um, what their li- tax liability is going to be, and they're paying that to the government. So all this simply is, is, is getting rid of that requirement. They would still be paying their tax liability, still be paying the same sales tax rate, but they would actually be paying it on what they're actually required instead of making this estimated guess. Right. And it's not changing their filings. It's not changing them from quarterly or anything like that. And, and it's something that a lot of folks are just, just not familiar with. But our small businesses will say, yeah, why do I have to guess? Yeah. My sales tech and this was something be. that
1: was put in. Uh, this is during the pandemic or post pandemic.
2: This was actually even before the pandemic. Okay. This was actually during um, our first recession around uh 2007, Oh, okay, got it.
1: Yes, yeah, but it's one of these temporary measures that sticks around forever.
2: That is correct. Unfortunately, that is something we like to do in Pennsylvania.
1: All right. What's next on your on your? Uh on your checklist.
2: So I think Steve brought up a good point when we talk about, you know, just the complications here in Pennsylvania. Um, It instantly makes me think of regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone has a new proposal for a new regulation that's only going to take a small business owner five minutes, Mm -hmm. 10 minutes, one more form. Mm -hmm. Every time we add a regulation, every time we add a requirement, that's taking time away from the business. So one of the things um, at NFIB we would like to sit down and we would like to look at what are the regulations that are working and what are the ones that, you know, can quite frankly just be taken off the books and not adding additional regulations to just make it burdensome. Um, ten minutes of somebody's time combined by your ten minutes, your ten minutes. You know, we're talking 40, 50 hours of right. just, just doing paperwork.
1: So the alleged public good of regulations – is is compliance. To say, okay, we're going to put these rules in place and that when people abide by them, that that will make the world a better place. Like that's the logic behind regulations. So, so if compliance is the good that results in the regulations, why shouldn't the state government be a partner in compliance, right? Like you should want people to comply, so you should help them to comply. Instead of having this hostile attitude, the gotcha, the um, you know pouncing on 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 people with fines and penalties and stuff like that, it's it's kind of perverse.
2: Some of it is repealing a few regulations. Mm-hmm. Some of it is looking at that and saying, you know what, we we needed this previously, we don't need this anymore. Right. Um, some of that it also is also what you alluded to is, is looking at permit reform. Mm-hmm. You know, our small businesses, they want to apply for a permit and get their permit in a timely fashion. You know, why is the state now penalizing them, making it longer and harder to get a permit? You know, what can they do to help to help in compliance?
1: You're listening to Capital Watch. I'm your host, David Taylor from Pennsylvania Manufacturers. With me, Steve Bloom from the Commonwealth Foundation and our special guest, Melissa Morgan from NFIB Pennsylvania. This is a longstanding problem in Harrisburg where um, all the contributions of the productive sector, they're just taken for granted. Like, okay, here's what all of the employers and uh, entrepreneurs and the makers and the doers, here's everything they contribute in Pennsylvania in a year. Okay, so we're just going to like pocket that and then we're going to do what we want. It's like, well, no, no, these are actual these are actual citizens, you know, who are who, you know, Steve, as you said, that they're putting on the line their own capital, their own life savings. Um, You know, this was one of the really crushing things about the. Um, you know, the, the Governor Wolf's uh, pandemic lockdown orders that many of our small businesses were just suffocated and they didn't even get the chance to adapt to the different circumstances. People were just ordered closed and had to sit back and watch as their dreams died.
2: Absolutely. I mean, their entire livelihoods, you know, were told you have to close. This is it. You can't do anything. You're done. And and the unfortunate part about that, too, is that a lot of them, they didn't have the resources to be able to apply for a waiver. Mm. Or if they did apply for a waiver, they would apply three times, get told twice they were denied, once they weren't denied. You know, the – I mean, we could probably go on and on about yeah. that process. but But absolutely, these were the businesses that, you know, were the hardest hit during the COVID pandemic. And it does feel like the government just keeps pounding them and pounding them again. And then as we hear new proposals, we hear – Additional mandates, you know, we're going to require you to to have this kind of paid leave. We're going to require you to increase the minimum wage by this month. You know, th- they can't take any more of right. that. Right, right. And, you know, quite honestly, some folks would say if you were – if you wanted to start a business in Pennsylvania right now, I would ask if you wanted to have your head examined. It's just yeah. not not friendly. Yeah. And, and we could be. You know, we could be a very thriving commonwealth with a great economy. It's, this is a great place to live in. And I definitely think we, we've got to look at those businesses and say, okay, you know what, we made a lot of mistakes during the pandemic, and what can we do to keep you around? What can yeah. we do to help?
3: And the, the irony or the tragedy involved in this is that in, in any town across the state of Pennsylvania, you'll see all the state representatives and all the state senators and other po- political officials lining up to cut the ribbon on a new small business, sharing in that glory, in many cases acting as if they had done something that, that helped create that small business. And then turn around and go back to the legislative chamber or the governor's mansion or wherever it is and enact more and more regulations, more and more laws that make it more and more difficult for that business that they just celebrated to ultimately be su- successful and sustain itself in the community. So there's this irony of you guys get sometimes, I think, used as a photo op, but then you don't get the, the respect that you deserve as a, as a taxpayer.
1: Yeah, the uh there's an example I'm loath to even like bring it up but there was a basically there was a business um where I'm I'm from that was put under by Governor Wolf's shutdown order and that now a similar business is being resurrected in its place with state subsidies. And I just like Again, if you would have just respected people and their ability to make good decisions for themselves, and to try to adjust and work through a difficult time, instead of saying, "What you do isn't important," and you've got to sit down and shut up and just and just again watch your watch your business wither and die. So, um, let's talk about other priorities, Melissa. What else does NFIB have on the plate?
2: So. Um You know, as I started talking a little bit about things that small businesses can't do and C-corporations can do, um, the other thing to talk about is the corporate net income tax and the personal income tax. Mm -hmm. So if you are a uh, a small business, you're registered as a pass-through entity, you're not paying the corporate net income tax. Right. But what you are paying is the personal income tax. Right. And that is something um, that we would like to see reduced. It is, you know, it's a very hard sell here in Harrisburg, Mm -hmm. but it is something that would not only be helping our small businesses, but would also be helping, you know, families, other taxpayers across the Commonwealth. And again, as we talk about, you know, some of the concerns with small businesses are inflation, they are worker shortages. You know, what better way to bring Pennsylvanians to Pennsylvania than by cutting the personal income tax?
1: And it's currently at 3.07, if I remember correctly.
2: That is correct.
1: And the, you know, again, it's the, it, it, you, it, one of the things that you mentioned was minimum wage. And the, the main problem with minimum wage is that when government increases the mandate, it doesn't actually increase the amount of money that employers have to pay people. And so, it, you know, you can't just you can't just wish that out of, uh, you know, just pull it out of out of the air. Like you're you're changing the parameters of uh, of of how a, of an employer is going to operate uh, that business, and so okay, you raise the wage. It's going to send um, a wave of inflation up the wage scale because everybody else who's you know who's had to earn their way up to that level is going to say, "Hey, wait a minute, you're going to pay the new guy what it took me three years to get." Like, no, I want more, and that's going to you know that's going to stack on itself. Um, but you know, again, without any additional revenue or or additional value added from, you know, people being able to do their jobs better or gains in productivity, you know, what are you going to do? Well, okay, the small business person is going to stop hiring for sure. And then, you know, probably let somebody go. And then beyond that, cut back on hours for everybody. So it's like it's just it's it's a perfect example cuz so many of the politicians are really enthusiastic about it like it's the best thing ever and in fact it's a self-defeating kind of thing where it's like they think they know better you know the the the, the politicians in Harrisburg think they know better than the actual small business owner Who's trying to manage a small staff and, and in, in most instances when you have that kind of small business environment, there's a real family feeling around it. Like, of course, these employers are trying to take care of their people. This is, you know, these are their, their neighbors and inevitably, you know, that, that, there are, you know that, there's, that there's loyalty in both directions. Of course, our employers want to take care of their folks.
2: And absolutely. And that's some of the things, you know, flexibility for the employers to say, you know, this is what you're going to make this per hour, but you have this flexibility with your hours. But yes, if I'm going to have to pay everybody this percentage more, I'm not going to be able to, to let you leave a little bit early. You're going to have to do a little bit more. And I think that's that's, you know, when we talk about a free market too – you know, the free market should be dictating what the wages are, what the benefits are. Um, you know, our small business owners, they know if I'm going to keep a keep an employee, I'm going to have to pay them a fair wage. I'm going to have to provide them with flexibility. I, they are like family. And, you know, they're not going to lose – they're not going to want to lose an employee over something like that. But you also – then when you start dictating these mm-hmm. things, you know, absolutely, they're going to have to make adjustments. Um and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to see because it's just another worry that they have to have right. as we put these artificial measures in place. And, you know, we need to really look at, look at the free market and, and see what's going
1: on. Well, we are glad that NFIB Pennsylvania is on the case, that you guys are valued teammates. And especially we thank you for taking time to be with us today. We're winding down on the amount of time that we have. Um, Melissa, where can people go to learn more about you and NFIB Pennsylvania and the work that you do?
2: Well, thank you for having us today. And if you have any questions about NFIB or what we do, um, NFIB.com slash Pennsylvania is where you can find information about us and all of our contact information. And um, we definitely appreciate the conversation today.
1: Outstanding. Rock on. Steve Bloom. where can people go to learn more about you and what you do? They can take a look at our website, which is at commonwealthfoundation.org. Outstanding. And as ever, you can find us online at pamanufacturers.org and on the Pennsylvania Cable Network on Sunday mornings at 8.30 with PMA Perspective. Well, from Melissa and Steve and me, thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Capital Watch. And now, a town hall commentary from Loman Henry. Thank you, David. The left strive
0: to exert ever-increasing control over the U.S. economy by forcing the conversion of the nation's vehicle fleet from gas-powered to electric vehicles under the guise of fighting climate change, became more ominous recently as the Biden administration proposed draconian new limits on tailpipe emissions. By bypassing Congress, the Biden administration is proposing to have the Environmental Protection Agency implement by regulatory fiat new rules which would further restrict tailpipe emissions for vehicles manufactured from model years 2027 through 2032. While this stops short of imposing a complete ban on the manufacture of gas-powered vehicles, a move which likely would not pass legal muster, the goal is to force consumers to more rapidly switch to electric vehicles. Lisa Frank, a spokesperson for the radical green policy group Environment America, applauded the proposed new regulation, saying, quote, we can now power our homes, cars, and even trucks with clean electricity, end quote. Well, that sounds all mom and apple pie-ish, but presupposes electricity is a clean energy source. On the flip side of that coin, environmental extremists line up to oppose the construction of any new source of electric generation, this again under the pretense that it is harmful to the environment. When fighting the war on fossil fuels, electricity is green. But propose a new generating plant and electricity is harmful. This is why government-managed economies have throughout history been colossal failures. On the one hand, the federal government is micromanaging the adoption of electric vehicles, outpacing both the free market and technology. On the other hand, it is preventing the expansion of the energy sources needed to power that conversion. Here in Penn's Woods, in just the last few weeks, we have found three unfortunate examples of the left's fight against electric power generation. A coal fired power plant in the small Indiana County community of Homer City will shutter its doors in July, a victim of the ill conceived Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI, in which Pennsylvania became entangled during the now defunct Tom Wolf administration. Wolf did so without legislative approval, so the compact is now being challenged in the courts, but the resulting confusion was too much for plant operators who decided to close the facility throwing more than 100 union workers out of jobs and decimating the finances of the local municipality and school district. Also successfully targeted by the Radical Greens were plans for a $1 billion natural gas-fired power-generating plant in Renovo, Clinton County. Once again, what could have been a major boost to a small-town economy, a job creator— and a source of local tax revenue, was sacrificed on the altar of so-called environmental concerns. The plant had been proposed by the Virginia-based Bechtel Group, which cited ongoing appeals from environmental groups as a reason why they are abandoning the project that had been in development for eight years. That is the winning strategy for the radical left. Tie up any proposed new electric generating facility with endless appeals to sympathetic governmental agencies, until it becomes economically unfeasible for the project to continue. And the Greens aren't just opposed to the fossil fuel generation of electricity. A proposal to build a dam across the Susquehanna River in Chanceford Township, York County, has drawn opposition. The Cuff's run hydroelectric dam proposal would flood about 1,000 acres and would bring an investment of $2.1 billion to the local community. But that hasn't stopped efforts to prevent construction of the dam. One opponent was quoted in the news media saying, quote, We don't need another power plant on the Susquehanna River. We have enough. But do we have enough? During the height of the summer season, some states are already experiencing rolling blackouts due to a lack of supply in their electric grid. With supplies already dangerously low, the forced conversion of a significant portion of the vehicle fleet will further strain the system unless new power plants are built. At some point, there will be a day of reckoning. The Biden administration and many state governments are captive of radical greens and aggressively pursue policies that force the conversion to electric vehicles while simultaneously opposing any effort to increase the power supply. We are on a collision course unless and until government at all levels stops micromanaging the economy and lets the free market dictate the pace of electric vehicle conversion. We cease the war on fossil fuels, which are currently our only abundant and dependable source of fuel, and the nation becomes more realistic in preparing for future demands on the electric power grid. With a Town Hall Commentary, I'm Loman Henry. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, lincolnradiojournal.com and lincolninstitute.org. For 28 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including WCNSAM in Latrobe, WWSMAM in Lebanon along with WIOOFM in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations and philanthropic foundations including the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal. Plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.